on this episode of Team Building Saves the World. It's really easy for 3 o'clock to turn into 4 o'clock. It's a lot harder (laughs) for Thursday to turn into Friday. But there is always a concern that you would kind of look lazy compared to the competition. Right. A four-day week is a way of solving all of those problems at once with a single change. Hello, team. It's me, your old friend, Rich Rittensland, host of Team Building Saves the World, the show where I speak to the leaders and innovators of the team building industry from all across the globe, trying to find out what about that industry is so important, especially in the world of today. And today, we're taking a long weekend and looking at the potentials of a four-day work week with the founder of Strategy and Rest, Alex Pang. But first, I need to share some love with my supporters at Team Bonding. If your team is ready to experience teamwork through the power of play, then visit teambonding.com to learn more. Now, team, please join me in welcoming the founder of Strategy and Rest, as well as an author of such books as Shorter, Work Better, Smarter, and Less, Here's How, and Rest, Why You Get More Done When You Work Less, as well as The Distraction Addiction, Mr. Alex Pang. Hello, Alex. Hey, great to be with you. Just so you know, that's a small contingent of chained up people I have under my desk. They're here just to applaud you. Hey, <laughs> I'm, I am flattered. They're well cared for and their uh, insurance is costing me a fortune. But thank you so much for coming on board. Why don't we start off? Tell everybody a little bit about yourself and how Strategy and Rest got started. Sure. So as you said in the introduction, I'm the author of several books about the intersection of of technology, work, and leisure, and creativity. Mm. And I started Strategy and Rest essentially after I had finished my latest book, which is about companies that have moved to four-day weeks without cutting salaries and without sacrificing customer service or productivity or profitability. And what I saw in these companies was a set of strategies that they employed over and over again mm-hmm. across a variety of industries and sort of in different different countries that I wanted to share, not just in the book, but through workshops and other kinds of consulting with firms that wanted to try this themselves. Okay. So that's mainly what strategy and rest does. So getting into the four-day work week, I can remember as early as the 90s when we were starting to hear about this as a potential strategy for corporations. And yet it seems to have completely faded from everybody's radar. But you say that there are companies that are doing it. So what happened? Where did it all go? There have been firms since the 1950s who've talked about it. In fact, Richard Nixon in 1956 gave a speech where he predicted the four-day work week would soon be here. And it was an example of sort of great Republican stewardship of the economy and the partnership between labor and capital that was notable or of a notable feature of the GOP. This was, you know, 1956. Things have changed somewhat. Right. But I think that there is, you know, sort of over and over again, we've had this idea going back for a very long time that as technology has made work more efficient, as it's, in, you know, as sort of standards of living have gone up, that one of the things we ought to be able to do is 
to cut working hours. And I think what's happened in the last couple of decades has been, you know, with the growing sort of uh, growing precarity of lots of jobs and careers, mm-hmm. you know, through gig work, through sort of the growing use of temporary labor, you know, ranging from really taxi drivers to professors, combined with a model of success that says that you become successful, usually at a pretty young age, by working titanically long hours, and that this is an expression not just of a desire to succeed, but kind of your worth as a person. There's a sort of moral dimension to it as well. And so all of these things together have created a set of incentives or cultural imperatives that have made overwork seem either inevitable or attractive. And, you know, what's notable with the companies that I've been studying is that they very explicitly reject that idea, right? They're led by people who are veterans of what in industry, whatever industry they're sort of they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, they themselves have, have a lot of experience working late nights. You know, they're familiar with what it takes, what it has taken to be a success. And they think, you know, they can do it better, that these kinds of sacrifices aren't really necessary in order to do really good work. And they think they can push back against this and design companies that operate differently. And it turns out they can. Okay, how? Let's get into it. Sure. So, you know, for or to creative firms for kind of, you know, for kind of knowledge intensive sort of industries, right. you know, a lot of what they do is a bunch of small practices. So in particular, there are studies that show that the average knowledge worker loses two to three hours per day to overly long meetings, to technology driven distraction, to the one quick question that turns into a 10 minute conversation. (laughs) And all of this stuff piled together makes it very difficult to stay on task, to really get deeply involved in, you know, sort of complicated problems Mm -hmm. or, or you know, big projects. And so if you can get a handle on that stuff, on the meetings, on the technology, on the distraction, then you can go a long way to making it possible to do five days worth of work in four. And so what these companies do is, you know, the hour long standing meeting every, you know, sort of every Monday Mm -hmm. turns into a five or 10 minute standup. The default length of meetings goes from, you know, 45 minutes or an hour to 10 or 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. I know one company that even has, you know, a specific desk and set of uncomfortable chairs that they hold meetings in (laughs) to help keep them short. And then when it comes, you know, another important thing that they do is redesign the workday so that they tend to push meetings to later in the day so that earlier everybody has a chance to focus hard on their most important problems, right? Okay. You get to deal with that kind of stuff first thing in the morning. And then they're a lot more thoughtful about how they use technology, right? Thing, doing things like having email checks you know, once or twice a day or time when you can get off the Slack channel, or you can avoid other kinds of distractions. And these sound like small things, but put together and reinforced with a culture that says, you know, your time is actually valuable, Mm. and that we can all cooperate to do these things so that we can all have three-day weekends every week for the rest of our lives. They're actually pretty powerful. And then with, you know, stuff like retail establishments with sort of other kinds of services, blue collar sort of work, it's really a mix of 
improvements in process, sometimes some dramatic improvements in, in technology enable this. So there's a pest control company, for example, and now several of them that have moved to four-day weeks thanks to improvements in scheduling software and, and kind of driver routing software. Hmm. Traditionally, you know, what are pest control professionals spend a lot of time in their trucks, right? Driving from site to site. And this and new AI-driven machine learning software has, has made it possible to design routes that are a lot more efficient than humans are able to come up with by themselves. And so what this has meant is that in an industry that traditionally has really struggled to get and to keep good workers, um, you know, you can now, you can now offer them the prospect of the sort of attraction of a four day week, you know, while still being able to hit all of your clients and sort of serve all of your customers and so it generates a win-win for everybody. Right. So, you know, I th- so those are, you know, that combination of exploiting technology or using technology more thoughtfully. Mm. And then a lot of little process improvements are how you make it possible to do five days worth of work in four. Plus, I would think the simple restructuring of scheduling where four-day mm-hmm. four work week does not necessarily mean Monday through Thursday. You could right. have it the Tuesday through Friday. Exactly. You know, and there are places that will, you know, have half their workforce do Monday through Thursday and mm-hmm. the other half do Tuesday through Friday because, you know, you're still in a five-day world. Right. Or, you know, you've got customer service that expects to be able to get a, you know, to get a response during regular business hours. Mm-hmm. Likewise, some governments have moved to shorter work weeks for their staff, but they've actually lengthened office hours. So you create mm-hmm. two shifts. You know, one that goes, let's say, from 7 to 1 and one that goes from 1 p.m. to 8 Okay. And or, you know, or 1 to 7. Right. What that means is for, you know, workers get a shorter work week, but your citizens get sort of more time to come in to pay their taxes, get their fishing sure. licenses, whatever. And so that's another way in which a smart response to the need to stay responsive mm-hmm. To look like you're, you know, sort of to show that you're a good steward of the public purse and to make services available to people who have day jobs and often struggle to get into, you know, sort of get into a government office to take care of something, you know, something important. But why aren't we seeing it more often? Why aren't we seeing it implemented or even just hearing about it, even being attempted? Mm -hmm. We're not even hearing about the research unless we buy your book. So (laughs) why does it seem like even now, because I have been a gig worker my entire professional career, and I have always had that other job that pays for the career I've chosen. Mm -hmm. So I have been blue collar, white collar, you know, all around, all across the field. And you're still getting those people who are being taught, I work hard, I work long, or I don't keep my job. Mm Mm-hmm. Plus you yeah, have, you know, plus you have those companies that are, you're only going to work 30 some hours a week. So we don't have to pay you for insurance. We don't have to give right. you that option. Right. You know, I think today the biggest impediments to adoption of a four day week are not technological. They're really kind of sort of economic and business model related. So if you've built a business around gig work or if you are, let's say, you know, a big law firm or, or investment bank, and you assume that you've got an inexhaustible supply of 22-year-olds <laughs> who you can, you know, sort of churn through every couple of years, yeah. then 
this is not a model that really is going to be very attractive. Mm. And for better or worse, those kinds of businesses have been the ones that have gotten a lot of attention and have sort of driven a lot of the conversation about what work looks like now and ought to look like in the future. Mm. The good news, I think, is that you know while it is still not terribly common, mm. we are seeing more companies, even during the pandemic, adopting a four-day week either permanently mm-hmm. or sometimes doing summer hours, right, where you have, <laughs> you know, or three months where you're doing four-day weeks. And they're also much louder about it than they used to be. Three years ago, when okay. I started working on this, you really had to dig around and find the companies that had moved to four-day weeks because they tended not to talk about it publicly. You shared it with your, you know, your most important clients, Mm. but there was always a concern that you would kind of look lazy compared to the competition. Right. The value proposition though has changed. So now when a company starts it, the CEO will post something about in, about it on LinkedIn or the company blog or do a press release. Okay. And you know, and a four day week now is not a sign that you are lazier. It's a sign that you are better at this game than the competition, right? Mm. Company Z needs six days to get all this stuff done. We can knock it out in four. Who's better (laughs) at this work? You know, it also shows that you care about employees. You're concerned with work-life balance. You want to be more sustainable. There are all kinds of things that now make it look like a more attractive sort of proposition. And then finally, we're also starting to see more attention to it in the kind of public policy or political sphere. Mm. So, you know, probably most of your listeners don't follow sort of um, mayoral or national elections in South Korea, but the mayoral election in Seoul earlier this year, you know, and Seoul is a gigantic city, like a quarter of all Koreans live there. One of the big issues was whether the city could implement policies to support a four-day work week. Mm -hmm. And a couple of the candidates were sort of quite strongly in favor of this. Now in the presidential election, there are a couple of the candidates who are saying, you know, this is something that we should revisit. This is something that Korea should move towards. Mm -hmm. And they are only the latest of politicians in you know, New Zealand, Scotland, Spain, and elsewhere who nice. have been at least flirting with the idea. Mm. No one has yet made it central in their campaigns, but still it is one that, you know, the topic is, the topic is still there. Yeah. yeah. They're talking right. about it. They're you starting know, the and, conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And people are seeing it as a route to election. And, nice. you know, when that happens, then, you know, that's a significant thing. Great. Alex, give me one quick second. I do need to step away if you don't mind. Go right ahead. Because I want to take a minute to tell everyone out there about a company I'm very proud to be a part of, Team Bonding. Team Bonding was founded over 20 years ago with one simple question. How can employees have a great time while fostering strong, authentic bonds between people who work together? They've created a catalog of innovative events using the power of play as a learning tool and tapping the correlation of work and play. From scavenger hunts to Jeopardy and so much more, the team bonding of activities, live, virtual, and hybrid, maximizes the impact of team building with an accent on fun. So visit teambonding.com to schedule your event now. Team bonding, when you want seriously fun results. And we are back with Alex Pang talking about the possibility of the four-day work week. Alex, you had mentioned the pandemic. What kind of changes have we seen due to the pandemic that might make either the four-day work week more likely or less likely? 
That's a great question. There were two big trends. And one of them is sort of adoption of things like summer hours by some mm-hmm. companies where that you know saw business really slow down or whose workforces really put in a lot of effort and the owners felt sort of deserved a reward. Okay. So in the latter category, actually the NBA front office sort of had, I think, a month where mm. everyone got a four-day or a four-day week. The second thing is there are some companies that in the process of going remote right. figured out how to, you know, sort of knit together of teams or sort of workers at a distance effectively enough so that they saw their productivity going up. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you know, workers were more stressed because you, you know they now had to simultaneously homeschool while you know while dealing with clients or you know or trying to do their uh, do other work. And so you know, there was a greater need for more free time, more personal time. And so uh, of these companies recognized that of the technology investments that they had made in order to perform during the pandemic also made it possible for them to start shortening working hours. And there are a whole bunch of companies now that have taken some of the, essentially taken some of those technology-driven productivity gains and shared them back with their employees. And so when this book first came out, and it actually came out a week before the pandemic really hit in the United States, you know, I assumed, okay, you know, history's worst timing with publishing, right? That this was sort of the movement was just going to sort of, you know, sort of wither. Yeah. But I've been really surprised to see that the opposite has happened, right? More companies in the last year have joined the four-day week movement than I think in the, you know, since I started tracking this several years ago. Well, we have, of course, what we've been seeing and talking about on the podcast for the past season have been the, the move to almost full remote, if not a hybrid of the two. And one of the things everybody had been talking about is the fact that when you are dealing with a remote workforce, you're winding up with people who are working more than eight hours a day, just naturally. Mm -hmm. So does it seem more likely that we can easily transfer those people into a four day work week and, and, you know, make that an easy transfer over or are we, are we still seeing no, that that's not the case? That's a good question. I mean, I think that the overwork, from what I can tell, is more a function of sort of like work family or work home interference, okay. right? The fact that, you, that you're trying to juggle both of these things. And so you end up spending more time sort of having to work on both of them because, you know, you're sort of, you simply can't do one particularly effectively while you're also trying to do the other. Right. You know, the other thing that has driven some companies toward um, preferring a four-day week over flexible work is that it's still good to have those time boundaries. That one of the you know the things that the pandemic has showed us is that if it was difficult for us to unplug when everybody was in an office, yeah, right, it's become even harder now. And so having the social norm that says, you know that nobody's going to be expected to check their email or do any work on Fridays mm-hmm. is a really bright line. And I think in a way is much clearer than saying, well, you know, we can all stop at three o'clock. Mm. It's really easy for three o'clock to turn into four o'clock. It's a lot harder <laughs> for Thursday to turn into Friday. Very true. So, Very true. I heard actually just uh, recently, I heard that Portugal had to pass a law stating that companies are not allowed to call their employees after a certain time 
just to make right. sure that there's still that work-life balance going on. That's amazing to even hear that. It is. Yeah. You know, the Portuguese have been doing some pretty interesting stuff with sort of legislation around work-life balance. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, with, there are other EU countries yeah. that have talked about or had some kind or encouraged companies to adopt policies of that sort. But the research, you know, stepping back, the research is really clear that giving people the opportunity to sort of switch off their phones to, you know, to put their minds out of the office Mm -hmm. is really, really valuable for psychological recovery, for reducing burnout, and also in the long run for making people and companies happier and more productive places. So, you know, I think that the, you know, as is always the case with legislation, the devil is in the details, but it's (laughs) certainly, I think, a move in the right direction with the right intention. Those employees and those companies that are dragging their feet into this, let's prove them Mm -hmm. wrong. Let's let's bring okay. them into the future with this. What are we looking at? How do you make it work? And and what are the benefits that you see? Sure. So you know the companies companies that do it are trying to solve of everyday existential issues, right? Okay. You've got a founder who is you know six months from burning out and taking the company down with them. You've mm-hmm. got recruitment and retention issues. You have problems with work life balance. Right. right. How you do it is. It's really an initiative that is driven from the top, but implemented from the bottom, by which I mean, you know, in a small company, you need like the charismatic leader who can say, we're going to try something really dramatically different, but nobody knows everybody else's job well enough to tell them how to do it in four days. And so you need to empower people to try new things, to make mistakes, to sort of experiment and iterate. Mm. Um, you know, if I was if I was advising a company, and you know, I actually do advise companies. So basically, <laughs> what I do is work them through a process of thinking about: okay, if you want to move to a four-day week, what day can you get rid of? Right? What right. day can you close? Right. And in some industries, that's really, really clear. The next question is: what could go wrong, and how do you prepare? You know, how do you prepare so that that doesn't actually happen? Right. Right. So you think through worst case scenarios, which not only gives you strategic responses, but it also helps people work through their own concerns, their own fears, and and gives them a sense that they can actually make this work. The next thing is think about what your KPIs ought to be, right? Most companies take the position that if we can do the same work in four days, that's a huge win. Right, they're not trying to be dramatically more productive, but if you can hit your deadlines, you know, if your clients are satisfied, that's fantastic. Whatever standard you choose, though, be explicit about it because your employees want those kinds of benchmarks against which they can measure their own performance and make adjustments as they need. And then I think that the, you know, the final important thing is make really clear to everybody that this is an experiment, right? You do a trial for generally three months, sometimes six months, and if it doesn't work, then you go back to a five-day week. And that does wonders for getting people to cooperate, for encouraging more collaboration, for 
taking it seriously rather than treating it you know, just as a perk. And you do all those things, and I think your odds of success go up pretty dramatically no matter what industry you're in. As okay. for the benefits, yep. you know, we talked about recruitment and retention, burnout, right. creativity. You know, recruitment and retention of go way, way up. You know, there are industries where I've heard of companies that were having turnover of 150% in some functions that went down to 20%, right? Mm. This is, and, you know, this is true even in industries where job hopping is very, very common. So retention, you know, you get more skilled people particularly for young companies or for startups, you're suddenly able to attract those people with 10 or 15 years experience who maybe have, you know, a child or two who maybe have struggled in previous jobs with juggling those things who now, you know, who are maybe less attracted by high salaries that they're going to have to spend on nannies and, you know, sort of nannies and therapy. um, And instead like the idea of being able to take their expertise and apply it to working a four-day week and having more time with family. And then I think, you know, there's also evidence that it makes companies more sustainable, more sustainable, both of their human resources, but also more sustainable because, you know, the lights are off one more day per week. And so we're starting to see some savings in energy and lower carbon footprint, though, you know, I think we need, you know, we still need to gather more data about that. So, you know, but I think that If you're a company for whom recruiting good people and keeping good people is, you know, a make or break proposition, if you're a founder who doesn't want to burn out, if you want your company to be more sustainable, if you want clients to be happy, you know, if none of those things matter to you, then, (laughs) you know, just stick with a five-day week or longer. But if those are things that, you know, that you are concerned about, a four-day week is a way of solving all of those problems at once with a single change. Hmm. So that's the proposition. Okay. What about to the employees? What about to those For the people employer. who are, because I was raised by mm-hmm. a father who was born in the forties and raised in the fifties. I was taught you work, you work hard, you do it until you're in your sixties and then you can actually have your moment for yourself. First off, you're still working hard. You know, a, right. a four-day week is not an easy thing to <laughs> easy thing to pull off. You've got to be really thoughtful about how you work. You have yeah. to, you know, focus on the stuff that really matters. Be a little more ruthless about saying no to the things that don't. Mm. So, you know, it remains. I think, you know, for people who like their work and kind of like the challenge of of sort of meeting challenges. Mm-hmm. It actually provides plenty of those, right? The kinds of sati- the kinds of psychological satisfaction that we get from doing difficult things well is just as present in a four-day week as, or, or of, as in a five. Hmm. However, I think that we have over the last couple of years been in a situation where we all have been asking ourselves how important should work really be in our lives? Right. How much time should it be able to command? Do we live to work we or do we op- work to live? Right. And yeah. we have an opportunity to do a reset here. And, you know, these companies show us that it's possible to continue to do really good work, to satisfy clients, to come out with new products. But, you know, in a way that does not assume that people have to work right to the edge of burnout. Right. And that I think, you know, ends, you know, sacrifice family or sacrifice, you know, sacrifice relationships with kids. Yeah. And I think, you know, these days that looks even more attractive to more people 
than you know, than ever. Mm. Plus, you're, you're talking about a well-rested group. You're talking about suddenly, you know, while, yes, I am pushing myself for those four days harder than I might have over five, I've got a whole three-day weekend forever to look forward to. You know, and people will use the time in different ways. You know, right. there's, I am shocked at how few stories I hear of people like going on three-day benders. People, it turns out, do ridiculously wholesome things when you give them another day of the week. Yeah. They do volunteer work. They spend time with family. They do professional development stuff. Occasionally, people will have, you know, really serious hobbies or side gigs that they can invest a little more time in. But even in those cases, often there are indirect benefits for the company. You know, I, I, I have a couple you know, stories of new products that a company develops after one of their people gets really interested in some new technology or does a deep dive on their own time into, mm-hmm. you know, some new industry area, just, yeah. you know, for themselves. People regularly talk about getting healthier, being able to eat better, you know, cook yeah. better, have time for hobbies, have time for family. And, you know, all of that is stuff that makes their lives much better and makes them, you know, much better and well-rounded as employees as well. Okay. So let's say you're an employee who your company has decided it's going to give this a try. We're, we're doing the big experiment three to six <laughs> months. This is what we're going to do. Well, you said everybody has to learn their own way through making it function for them. Do you have any advice you might give to the new employee who is terrified? This is not going to work, that they're not going to be able to get enough done. Yeah. You know, I think the first the first thing I would say is that people around the world in all kinds of industries, you know, from nursing homes to billion dollar software startups have mm. figured out how to make this work. So, you know, odds are you can too. The next thing is that this is not just about you maximizing your own productivity or efficiency. It's okay. about you and your colleagues working together. And I think that's really important. You know, all too often we think of we think of productivity as very much a kind of personal thing, much as work-life balance is. But you know, just as we all have challenges like juggling family and sort of school and other kinds of commitments with work, we all have the same set of commitments that we're trying to work through. And so Achieving a four-day week is not something that just involves you making your own work more efficient. It's okay. about working with others and helping, you know, helping your colleagues get through their work by respecting their time, by having better meeting discipline, by resisting those interruptions so that they can get stuff done so that you can all leave on Thursday and enjoy the three-day weekend. I think the other thing is that it is, you know, be prepared along the way for missteps and for failures. Everybody tries things that don't work out. You've got some technology that you think that will help that turns out to be completely useless or doesn't really work for you. The challenge there is not to avoid failure, but to iterate quickly, to learn from it, and then to build on your failure rather than sort of stumble over it. And then the, you know, the last thing is sort of be aware of what constitutes success right? Always keep in mind what it is that you've got to do in order to make the four-day week a permanent thing. And that will help you clarify a lot of choices about how you spend your time, how you work, and what you say yes to and what you say no to. So that's what I would tell someone who's hesitant. 
And to be clear, you're not saying forget about socializing at work. You're just no. saying to to put it in its proper time and place. Exactly. So you know, um, the most you know, um, I I know companies that uh, that have specific times for like you know deep dive focused work, but everyone will also go out to lunch together. And you know what they tell me is that you get more done in that first period, you know, two hours of deep dive time than you would in like a regular four hours. Plus the social life is better because you are actually sitting and eating together. Right. It can sound like having those boundaries between work time and social time sounds kind of unfriendly. Actually, Mm -hmm. the opposite is the case. Having those boundaries makes each one of them sort of richer and better. Great topic. Lovely conversation, Alex. Thank you so much for coming on board with us again. I just want to end with this one last question. How do we make it happen? You know, do we have to go Portugal's route and the government actually say that this is what they want to do before it's going to happen? Or can the free market actually manage to manifest this themselves? You know, so far, lots of companies have done it on their own without any government help. I think there is still plenty of space for companies to figure it out for themselves. I do think at this stage that there are policy incentives that, and I have to confess, I'm not a political or policy person. So I'm just channeling what other smart people have told me that there are things that you could do to incentivize companies to take up a four day week, right? Rewards and, I don't know, you know, reductions in payroll taxes or, or things of that sort that would encourage companies whilst, while not dictating to them exactly how they're going to go about doing it in places that you know, in Iceland, for example, the entire Icelandic public sector has moved to a shorter work week. And it took something like eight months of negotiations between the labor union and the government, and then another eight months of kind of working it out at the shop floor and kind of hospital and customs house level to okay. figure out all, you know, to figure out all the details for what do you do in this case and, you know, and in this case and with this kind of worker. And so in big institutions, I think there is an awful lot of stuff that has to happen at the front end. But even in Iceland, you know, where you've got 90% union representation and the public sector is 15% of the economy, they decided, you know what, we really ought to leave it up to individual workplaces to figure out how to implement this. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, you know, that's, that's probably a smart move for all of us. So at this stage, incentives, not requirements, but I think that you would get more companies interested in this and more companies making the decision to do it if they had some kind of support of that sort. Excellent. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Alex. I'm going to go right out. I mean, you sold me. I'm going to go right out and call my boss and say, <laughs> I'm only working four days from now on. There you go. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please, everyone on my team, give a big round of applause for Alex Pang. And Alex, can you tell my team out there more about where they can learn more about you, your books, and your company? Sure. So on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and so on, I am AskPang, A-S-K-P-A-N-G, very conveniently my initials. Um, And then sort of my company is Strategy and Rest, and that is, the URL for that is just strategy.rest. Happily for me, rest is a top-level domain. And then, you know, my books are available at all fine bookstores and at the other place online. So, um, 
That's great. Thank you so much. Oh, Alex, I wish I could continue talking to you about this. Uh, it, this is a fascinating topic, and I would love to know more. But we do have some more time to talk because it's time to put you on the hot seat from a speed round. All right. All right, my friend. So just like I described to you earlier, this is simply going to be 60 seconds where I'm going to play some music in the background and ask you a bunch of innocuous questions about you. And then you're just going to try to answer as quickly as you can. The objective here is to see how many answers you can get. Good stretching. You're going to see how many answers you can get within 60 seconds. If you're feeling competitive at all, the big number this season to beat is 11. So let's actually wait. Just wait for the music to start. I'll start asking you questions and away we go. What's your name? Alex Pong. How many children do you have? Two. Which one's your favorite? Oh, they're both my favorite. Excellent. Uh, If you were invisible for a day, what would you do? Uh, Good heavens. I would find out what the dogs do when I'm not here. (laughs) Uh, What city would you love to live in for the rest of your life? London. If you could be any historical figure, which would you be? Um, good heavens, Genghis Khan. What's your favorite movie? Favorite movie, um, Inception. What do you think is the perfect age to get married? 22. Okay. Uh, Earlier than I did. (laughs) Excellent. If you could time travel, where would you go? 19th century. 19th century England. What's your best childhood memory? Best childhood memory, uh, living in Brazil. Favorite holiday? Uh, Christmas. I got it out, so I'm going to give it to you. Guess what, my friend? That was nine, I want to say. You got... Eleven. Oh, oh, good heavens. Top answers for my entire Uh, season. Well done, Alex. I'm going to have to come back on the show and see if I can beat that. Excellent. Love to have you back. If anything, for next season, we'll start you earlier so you'll be the top scorer and everybody will just have to catch you. Outstanding. Thank you again, Alex. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, my team out there, give a big round of applause for Alex Peng. Thank you so much for coming on board, Alex, and sharing this really important topic. I look forward to seeing where this goes in the future now that more people are talking about it, especially people who listen to podcasts. As for you out there, my team, that's it. We're wrapping up yet another episode of Team Building Saves the World. If you're a fan of this podcast or just happen upon it because you love this topic, please be sure to share it with all your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, everyone you know who has ears attached to a brain and heart because they're going to want to know all about these topics. You can learn more about us and all of the topics we've talked about forever in this podcast by going to teambonding.com forward slash podcast where you can find all of our previous episodes. You can find us on all the social medias at Team Bond Podcast. Go ahead on there. Leave me a like. Leave me a subscribe. Leave me a message. If there's a good message out there, I'm going to read it here live on the air. So far, I haven't found one, but I'm looking and I continue to look. But for you, my friends, everybody out there, please always remember and never forget, if you are within the sound of my voice, you are forever on my team now, and I'm always going to be on yours. So until we talk to each other again, you guys take care of yourself, and I'll see you next time.
It's been said that you learn more about a person in an hour of play than in a year of conversation. So why not put your coworkers to play with the help of the team at Team Bonding? Team Bonding was founded over 20 years ago with one simple question. How can employees have a great time while fostering strong, authentic bonds between people who work together? Their catalog of innovative events includes scavenger hunts, Jeopardy, and much more. Each activity, whether live, virtual, or hybrid, maximizes the impact of team building with an accent on fun. Visit teambonding.com to schedule your event now. Team Bonding, when you want seriously fun results. 